Welcome to All Things Pilates, Season 4. Though we can't know exactly what Joseph Pilates was thinking or feeling towards the end of his life, we do know he wanted the entire world to practice Contrology, and that want has certainly become a reality. Hello everyone, I'm Darian Gold, and here on All Things Pilates, we discuss the man, the method, and how his genius continues to influence and inspire. As promised, you will now hear part two of my interview with Eva Rinke, the author of the Joseph Pilates biography. If you recall in part one, Eva shared her research of Joe during his childhood, all the way through to his internment on the Isle of Man. Today, Eva will talk about Joe Pilates and his new life in America. Welcome back to the show, Eva. Yeah, hello, good evening. It's great to be with you again. I'm really looking forward to, to be talking about this New York time of his life. Yes. Now it's 1926. The previous year, 1925, he went to New York for the first time to see whether New York was going to be a better place, a better fit, the ability to help his method flourish. And a year later, 1926, he says goodbye to Germany for the last time. He's on a transatlantic liner heading back to New York City. And unbelievably, on the same liner is someone who will help steer and guide the rest of his life. And I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who know who we are referring to, but for those who don't know, who was this someone? Yeah, the someone was a she, <laughs> and her name was Clara Zeuner which spells Z-E-U-N-E-R, Zeuner, um, you say it in, in German. And she was born the same year as Joe himself. So they were of the same age. Um, she was a few months older. She was born in February, February 6, in 1883. And she came from a small village um, near Chemnitz in the eastern part of Germany called Ebersdorf. And her, her experience, like she came from a very similar background as Joe because her family also had been moving from house to another place into another house all the time. And she also had uh, many siblings and she was living with her family until her mother died in 1914. And then she, she was staying with her father. She was still living with her father and they were moving to Kaiserslautern in the west of Germany. And there um, she was living with uh, her father and some of her siblings. And um, on the ship statements where you um, could put your occupation, she said she wrote household. So that's what she had been doing for the first 40 years of her life. She, she had been taking care of the household for her father. 
What are the odds, though, of two people meeting on their way to a foreign land? They're the same age, very similar upbringing. Yeah, and I mean, it, it just sounds like such a romantic story, you know, like meeting someone on a ship to when you're both starting a new life and then you, you find each other and you will spend the rest of your life together. The attraction... We don't know at this point if it was romantic, but there was a commonality, a common thread between them in terms of wanting to help people, help humanity, help get people to understand about health and fitness. And Joe talked to her about his contrology system, right? Yeah, I'm so sure he did. I mean, <laughs> we don't have proof for that, but I think that's what he was doing all the time at that point. And, and she just made a wonderful listener. So that was really one of the qualities people, like if people are talking about her and remembering her the way she was working with them in the studio, she was really able to, to listen to someone, you know, to, to she, she didn't, say so much herself. She was rather the kind of person who, who would be able to listen and not comment. And I think that's just um, a quality that drew Joe Pilatus to her because that was exactly what he needed because he had so much to say. <laughs> he just needed someone who would be listening to him and who would be absolutely loyal. And, and she's the perfect sounding board. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but she was also, she was really a serious person, you know, she was really hardworking person and, and very reliable. And if you look at all the women he, he had been with in his earlier life, he always had been women who were his age or older. He was always looking for a person he could rely on, you know, someone, someone to help him. And, um, and I think that's what he found in, in Clara. And I think she she also found something in him because she she wanted to start a new life in the United States. And she knew that this was not going to be easy because all she had was $35, like all the money she brought with her when, when she went on the ship. And most of the women like her, like untrained women, immigrants from Germany who started working in the United States, they were working in really like this badly paid service jobs in hotels, restaurants, or in factories. And this was not the kind of future anybody um, <laughs> was dreaming about. So when she met Joe and heard about his plans to join in and be his collaborator, that was a great opportunity for her. And so I think even though it sounds romantic that they met on the ship, I think it was rather on both parts also good business decision, you know, like to find someone you could really rely on and he can help you and you can do something together, make something happen. It was brave of her, though, to come by herself to America, not knowing anyone with only $35 in her pocket. Yeah, I mean, she had the, she had the address of a, someone her family knew. So some, some far relation, she would be able to, to stay at, um, at that person's place in the beginning, but that was all. And yeah, and I think we, because it's so different from like, if today, if you go to, to a, a new country and start a new life, 
many people will learn the language before that or you somehow prepare for this and and but she she didn't she just um she just went and risked it all and yeah that's really courageous very courageous they get to new york city how do they end up at 9398th avenue when i was reading your book i was thinking did they look at other apartments or other living arrangements or did, was it 9398th avenue right away well, we we don't really know for sure about um, this period. Like, there's no um, written proof um, of, of, of different apartments Joe was looking at. But I'm sure he was looking at different places. And he had this one person who was helping him and who had convinced him to come to New York, um, Ned Fleischer, the boxing journalist. And I think he was helping him to find a place that would be right for him. He needed something with a cheap rent. <laughs> And with enough space for a studio and living, living quarters. And when when he, I think when when he found nine three nine Eighth Avenue, he saw at once that it was just the perfect place for him because there were there was the studio, there was a, an apartment he he could live live in, and there was also he could have his workshop in the same house, so he could work with wood because that was. He was planning to do also to build his his own equipment, so that's what he needed, and the rent was cheap, and I don't know if he knew about this, but it turned out later that it was really important that it was really close to Broadway, so yeah, the location was perfect as well, and yeah, and and I think that's just amazing. Like these two people who had been traveling so much in their life and they had been living at so many different addresses or places. And now they moved in this apartment sometime in 1926 or 27, we don't know for sure. And then they stayed and, and they stayed for the rest of their lives in this place. And they were working there, living there. It's such an incredible story. Were there other people besides Nate? Is it Nate or Nat? I think it's Nat, but um, you would Nat. know like, N-A-T? Like, how, how do you pronounce it? Yes. Um, Nat, like Nat. a bat. Yeah, okay. So like Nat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were there other people, uh, before we start talking about the dancers and his students, were there other people besides Nat who stepped forward to offer assistance? Yeah. I mean, there were so many people who were helping Joe. I think that was one of his great gifts. Make people help him. <laughs> Because if you if you look at all his books and everything he ever published, or that the, there was always some um, several people who were um, voluntarily <laughs> taking part in this and, and helping him with this, but all these people were his clients. So I, I think that was just the way you met Joe Pilatus, and the way if you wanted to make a connection with him, this would always be in the studio. This would always be if you were working with him. And if you were an enthusiastic um, student of the Pilates method, he would be interested in you as well. <laughs> and then he would find out how you could help him <laughs> because after he had helped you with your, your um, health body. problems, with your body. And, and I think that's also why these people wanted to help him because he had saved them. Like that was what one of these people, Hanya Holm, um, the choreographer and dancer 
um, who sent so many people to the Pilates studio and helped him so much. And she said, she, she wrote for him this, um, you're my life savior, <laughs> because he had helped her with a knee injury. And that's what he did for these people. And they wanted to give back to him. And yeah, some of these people, like I mentioned Hanya Holm, but there was also George Balanjean. He, he sent like, he sent Romana and, and many, many other dancers. There were yeah dancers like Ruth and Dennis and Ted Sean um, who were really important. Then there was the photographer, George Heuning and Hühne. And he, he had been a photographer for Vogue um, back in France. And, and he took the pictures for Return to Life through Contrology. Uh, so that's why these are great <laughs> pictures in, in this book. There, there was Frederick Rand Rogers, who is such an interesting person. Like when I did the research, I really had to focus uh, to do research about Joe, because when I started reading about Frederick Rand Rogers, I really thought that's <laughs> just amazing. There was the opera singer Roberta Peters, um, who was working with Joe and, and she kept remembering him and, and she kept inviting him when, when she was invited to television and she was really helping him a lot. And there were musicians like Ralph Hollander and his wife, Ingrid Luce Hollander. They were trying to um, form a foundation to, to help the Pilates method. And, and yeah. All of these people first started as students yeah. with Joe. He helped them heal or just get really fit and they just naturally wanted to give back so you have people in the arts who in one way or another stepping forward and wanting to help can we go back to ruth saint dennis because she was the pioneer of modern dance and she shows up at his studio early on why did she show up yeah she came because um she had a really problem with her knee and her ankle and, and this is really harmful for her because she was already, I think, in her 50s. And this was um, to keep on dancing and, and, and to keep on her routine with um, practice. This is really hard for her and for her body. And now she, she was afraid she was not um, going to be able to dance anymore. And so someone told her about Joe and he, he was able to help her and she had not, she, she, she had been hopeless, you know, so he really, he gave back hope to her and, and he helped her to overcome this injury and to go back to work. So this was for her, this was such a wonderful experience that she kept helping him <laughs> throughout her life. And she kept, she was inspired. Yeah, she was so so inspired about him and, and she she was talking to everybody she met about him and people were really annoyed some of them for instance her her <laughs> Stop husband talking about him. Sean. <laughs> yeah he couldn't hear it anymore he, there are several um <laughs> memories by him and when, when he said I, I couldn't hear it anymore and then sometimes i just went just so that she Shut would up. stop <laughs> talking about him and then he loved it um isn't that crazy just as much as she did I, I do remember way back when I think we're talking uh, late 1980s, early 1990s, you would hear people 
dismiss Pilates like it was something just for celebrities or just for dancers. It had that kind of energy around the method, which is completely not true. And then once somebody would start, then they can't, they can't shut up. They keep talking about it and they want their friends and their family to have the same experience or a similar experience because it makes you feel so good. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think just the the coincidence that this happened to Ruth and Dennis was the reason why Pilates became associated so much with dance. Because she was just so well connected in the in the dance community because of the school she and Tetron were running and the Danishan school. And so they knew everybody in dance. And and she was telling everybody about it. So that, that's what brought in so many dancers in, in the studio. Eve Gentry was the first of the elders. We, we know them as the Pilates elders, but in the beginning, they were just Joe's students. They were dancers. They either came to him because they were injured or because they just wanted to strengthen their body so they had longevity in their career. Eve Gentry was first, then Romana Krizanowska followed her, and then Carola Trier. Trier. Those were the three, as we know them, Pilates elders to study with Joe. But what about Kathy Grant and Naja Corey, Ron Fletcher? When did they start studying with Joe? Yeah, that's uh, such an interesting question. Also really difficult to answer because I mean, one of the things about Joe was that he, he didn't keep records in a way that other people would do that in a studio. So it's really difficult to find out when someone um, was actually coming to the studio and how often. After the Pilates method became so popular, um, many people were suddenly remembering how much they had been working with Joe. And it's, it's really difficult actually to find out when exactly someone was actually there and how much. And I think, as you said, the, most of these um, elders, they, they came um, to the studio first as clients because they had, a, had an injury or some, some problem, some body part. And most of them, they went there, they worked with Joe and then it was better and then they left. And at some later point, they came back because um, they got interested in the method more. So Or got injured again or they got injured again and needed more of that. But um, many of them also later, they, they were thinking about that and, and then they became interested and, and wanted to learn more about that. So I, I think um, Kathy Grant is a good example of this. She came in, in 53 because of a knee injury, but she was so in the dance world and had so many things to do and she was traveling the world and, and like these interesting things she did, like she went to Africa and and, but she always kept coming back. Then she started working for Carola Trier as an assistant. And then she came back to Joe and, and got the certificate <laughs> along with Lolita San Miguel. And later, and, and this was um, in 73, she took over the Vandels um, Pilates studio, uh, the Pilates studio at, at the Vandels Yes, more yes. In, in New York. And, um, and so I think she's a good example because like in, in the beginning, it was her dancing career that, that was important for her. And Pilates was just a small part of, of that. And then later, 
um, she became more interested and then it took um, a bigger part of her life. And, th and then from, from in the 70s, it became the, the center of her work. And, and I think um, that's how it was with almost all of them. Yes. You know, they, they kept yes. In, in, in the beginning, they kept changing between the worlds. <laughs> and then at some point they focused on, on the Pilates method. It's a very natural transition. I think any dancer would tell you that. In your book, you describe a remarkable story of healing and transformation that involves Eve Gentry and her trust in Joe to help her with her mastectomy that she had had and she needed to heal. Can you share this story with our listeners? Yeah, I, I was so moved by, by the story, I, I say, because I, if Chandri, she was just one of um, these uh, dancers who came to the studio when she had an injury in, in 1942. She, she, um, Hanya Holm sent her because of an injury. And, and then she went back to, to the dance world and um, she founded her own group. And yeah, she, she really had an interesting career. And then suddenly, like, yeah, as for so many people, if you have cancer, it happens like a, yeah, like, like a lightning bolt. And your doctor is telling you there's a knot in your breast, and then she had to go and have surgery. And and this was in, in this time, almost every time they did this, the radical mastectomy. So they took off the whole breast, and also they removed the the pec major, the muscle. Um, you really need to move your arm. Yeah, and and she was devastated. It was really difficult for her to to find hope because she, she thought she would never be able to dance again, and that was her life. That so um, she went to to Joe, and she was hopeless. And and she she recalls that he said to her, "Don't worry, we fix." <laughs> like in, in the way he was, he, he didn't speak English so well, but but he just um, had that confidence in his method that um, he would be able to help her. And I think she needed both, you know, she needed the exercise, but she also needed that confidence, someone to believe that it would be, everything would be all right. And then she worked with him really, really hard for one year. And after one year, she, she was able to move in the same way as uh, before, before the surgery. So, um, her husband was so impressed by that, that he suggested they record this and, and make a film. And um, he, he was a photographer, so he made a film um, of her doing the exercises, like the exercise routine Joe had developed for her. And they showed this film in a hospital that worked with breast cancer patients. And when they showed this, the doctors who were present didn't believe um, she had had a mastectomy. So they went back to the studio and they did another film. And this time she, she was topless. So you, on, on this film, you can see her, you know, you, you can see the, the injury and um, the scar. Yeah. And it's really moving to look at that and, and the way she's doing the exercises. And they showed this um, film in the hospital and 
the, the doctors were enthusiastic about this and they say, oh, we have to, we have to do something together. We have to set up a program for our patients. And then it turned out that Joe Pilates didn't have medical training. So he never, you know, he never um, went to the university. He didn't have a degree at all, like not even as a nurse or so there was no medical degree and they couldn't risk it. Um, yeah, because of liability. So they couldn't work with him. And this was really very painful for him. Yes, his life's work. And he knew he was right all along. And he wanted to help so much. I mean, he, he, he knew that his method was, um, had the potential to help people in, in this situation. And he wanted to, to help. And yeah, it wasn't possible. Yes. And in the book, we won't talk about it now, but you, you get, you really get a sense of his despair and his hopelessness. He gave hope to all of the people who came to study with him. And he was denied that hope himself because unless he had lots of letters behind his name, nobody was going to take him seriously. He was so far ahead of anything. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead a little forward into the book. So Joe passes away in 1967 and Clara takes the reins and is responsible for running the studio. Do you know how she handled this? Yeah, I mean, this was a really difficult situation for Clara because she had been, I mean, she had been living Joe's life for 40 years. She had been sharing his dreams, his work and everything. And to her, the possibility that he would die had not occurred. They, they were both um, convinced that she would die first because she was the one who had health problems. She was the one who, who was losing her eyesight. Did she have physical problems? Yeah, she did. She had pain in her knees and he was working with her as well. Yeah, she, she had um, pain and yeah, when he was still fit and alive. So, and then when he died, she was not prepared for that. And also, I mean, she was, she was 84 when he died and and this is an age um usually people don't have to work <laughs> at that age and then she had to take care of the studio um and take over all the responsibility so i mean on the one hand she had been most of the tasks she had been doing all the time but then she had been doing it for joe so this was really different if he wasn't there also like during the last years um, of his life, both Joe and Clara, they had retreated a little. I mean, most of the daily work in, in the studio had been like Hannah and John Winters and Romana ha had been working there a lot and, and different assistants. So Joe and Clara had not been there all the time as they had been in, in earlier years. So. Now, this was really difficult for her because her strength was um, going down. Yeah. And then she, she was really sad and, but she wanted to keep the studio, you know, keep, keep it on. She was convinced that this was his last wish and, and he wanted the work to continue. And so she was really trying hard and, and relying more and more on, on Romana to, to do this. 
Well, when Clara's time came to, it was, it was her time to step aside when she couldn't keep up anymore. She did ask Ramana, who had not only was she teaching at the studio, but she traveled with Joe to be his demonstrator when they were doing demonstrations. And her depth of knowledge of his work was huge. Do you know how Romana handled running the studio? Did she change anything? I'm sure she must have changed a few things just in observation when she was teaching. Yeah, I mean, you know much more about how she was running things because you have been working with her. <laughs> but like from, from what I um, found out, like by, by reading the memories of people and comparing this and and I think like when, when she um, go to the studio and especially after she moved um, to, to a new location in, in the 70s, um, there were a couple of things that changed. Like she was really a different person um, from Clara. Clara was always in the background. She was really not loud. And Romana was some, like a diva. She, she was the person like who would be um, <laughs> in the spotlight, you know. And yes. So she was doing a show <laughs> in the studio. And, and so the way she was teaching was really different from the way Clara had been teaching. But they were also sharing some things. And, and I think they were both really serious about the method and about the way Joe had taught the method and and to to save this, you know, to to do it exactly in, in that way. And I, I think that that's where they really were really similar. And there was another thing where, where Romana was similar to Clara. She was a great teacher, an inspiring teacher, but she was not a businesswoman. So she never managed to run the studio in a way that she would make, make a profit. And um, she just didn't um, have the, I don't know, she, she was not able to do it. So she always wanted to rely on, on someone else to help her. And so she never really became independent as a businesswoman, as other, other elders did, like Carola Tria or Eve Gentry. They were also able to, you know, run a business or run Fletcher, for instance. She was an artist, 100%. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I understand her so well. I mean, I'm also like that. I never care so much about uh, the money side of things. And then in, in the end, you're just working, working, working. And you think, oh, okay, I didn't earn anything. But well, no matter, I just go on. <laughs> Somehow uh, things will, will be fine. And I think that was just her, um, yeah, the way she, she did that. And I mean, I like that. <laughs> there were plenty of people coming, right? So she didn't have to really worry about it because there was always income there. Yeah, but she- She just really needed a business partner. She always needed- Early yeah, on. she needed a business partner. And then she went, the studio went bankrupt for several times um, during the time she, she was running it. So she always needed a new business partner to bring in more money. <laughs> Gee, what a surprise. <laughs> and, um, but I think that's not the important thing. Like the, the important thing is that, that she inspired so many people and, and she was really the seed of that the Pilates method was able to spread um, throughout the world. And I mean, my teacher in, in Stuttgart, um, she also um, studied with Romana. So, I mean, all over the world, um, there are people who worked with her and, and just and, care, and carry her love and her inspiration and her joy of the work. 
yeah, she, she really, you know, spread um, spread the love for, for the Pilates method. Jonathan Winters and Hannah, what was her last name? Sukumar. Well, yeah, there are several versions of her name, like Sakamirda, Sakamirska, and um, I was not able to find her, you know, like to, to find some document of her and to find out even what her name was. She's the um, mystery girl. Yeah, a really mis mysterious woman because she was always there. Like people remember that she was always there. Really important person in the studio. But it's, uh, we know almost nothing about her. And she, she disappeared when, when Romana moved the studio to another location. Then she oh, didn't, she didn't follow. Um, she didn't follow. And there's some stories that she got married and, and moved. Um, and what about Jonathan Winters? Somewhere else. Yeah, John Winters, I, I also didn't find out much about him. But I have to admit, I didn't dig very, very deeply. So because there, I mean, there are so many people who were important for the Pilates studio at some point. This was really d difficult um, when doing research to, to focus on, on Joe, because there are so many interesting people as well who worked with him and get distracted a lot. Sure. Moving even more forward, into your book. Actually, it's towards the end of your book. I remember this well. The Pilates lawsuit caused so much strife and ill will. Can you speak about how the lawsuit unfolded? And what do you think Joe would be thinking about when he would observe this entire drama? Yeah, I mean, um, when I was reading about this, I, I really thought this was so sad because this would always also be the end of the book and then <laughs> everything ends um, in front of a judge. <laughs> That's not, uh, yeah, not, not a great ending. I think what, what brought it on was um, like Romana's wish to preserve the method and, and really to implement quality standards and and, and she didn't want, because she saw that some people who, who hadn't been trained in the Pilates method at all, or they just went to a workshop um, for, for a weekend, and then, then they started teaching Pilates, and she didn't want that. She, she wanted to, what she had done when she had taken over the studio, she wanted to um, preserve this and, and really um, teach the method in the way Joe taught it but but she didn't see that there were also other people who had been working quite um, deeply with joe and who had an understanding of his method as well and who were also doing teacher training and so that there were quite a lot of people who were actually actually knew a lot about the method and some of them had been working with joe for years just like her so and, and she didn't really think about that. And so when she and Sean Gallagher started sending cease and desist letters to people, for instance, like uh, Deborah Lesson. What year is this? What year um, is this? I think Did it start? Some point um, in the middle of the 90s, I think like uh, 94 or 96. Um, yeah. 
So some people who were receiving these letters, they were really thinking that can't be true because I've been like I've been um, working with Carola Trier for ten years now, and this is just impossible. And they just didn't accept to to go to Sean Gallagher, who had just um, started learning the method to take an exam and get a certificate. So I think that 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 was the 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 problem, the underlying problem. And then when it, when it went um, court to the court, yeah, went to trial. Um, yeah, went to trial. The the judge decided that the term Pilates um, was generic. So it was not possible to have a trademark Pilates. And now, so that, that outcome was tragic because this made it impossible. What Romana had been wishing for and other people also, <laughs> because um, other people also had wanted to, to save the Pilates method and have quality standards. This was really tragic outcome. But on the other hand, um, I think there was also good things which started after the trial. So there was the Pilates Method Alliance was founded and they have actually um, done that. And they have found a way to establish these um, standards. And they have also found a way to reunite the Pilates community, at least superficially. <laughs> so yes. That's a, that's an operative word, superficially. So when I think what Joe would have been thinking about that, I think he would have been he would have been in the trial. That would be exactly the way he would handle things, like <laughs> to sue people if he had had enough money to do that. <laughs> he would have done that. But I think he might also be happy with the outcome in the sense that now people all around the world know his method, practice his method. They have great teachers yes. who really know a lot about it. And I mean, that was his his dream. And, and it actually yes. came true, even like it was several years after his death, but it came true. And, and I think that that's the thing that matters the most. Yes, that the world is practicing contrology, as he saw back in 1920 or something. Yeah, it's like 100 years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you so much for your time again today and for sharing more about Joe's incredible life story. Like I said in the first interview, people who are listening who do not have your book, I highly recommend it again and again. It's such an ad adventure. You really do, you draw the reader in. You're offering a 10% discount for all the All Things Pilates listeners. The code is All Things Pilates 20. Curious if you are working on any new projects. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> but um, I, I actually went back further in time. And at the moment, I'm working um, on a project about the year 1700. There, there were, they found um, something and they, they thought it was unicorn horn. So they didn't know what it was. <laughs> and many, many years later, it turned out that these were mammoths, the teeth of mammoths. I'm really interested in this subject. It's uh, something completely different, but yeah, I'm just a very curious person. And when I found out about this, <laughs> I wanted to know more about this. So right now I'm working on a book about this 
incident. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Yeah, and I also um like if it's okay for you and if you have um a little more time, I would love to ask you some questions as well because I um I found out that you were also um part of Pilates history. I always wanted to know more about um the 90s. Yeah, when when you um found out about the Pilates method and like I'd love to hear how you heard about it and what made you stay and also um if you could tell me something about the atmosphere in the 1990s in the Pilates community 90s 1990s it was 1992 I was dancing in a modern ballet dance company and We were in rehearsal. I can see it as clear as day right now. We were in rehearsal and had taken a little break. One of the dancers came up to me and she says, do you want to go take a semi-private Pilates lesson or class? And I said, what's Pilates? And she, the only thing she said in response was, just come with me. You're going to love it. And it's so it's so true because all these years later, not now, thankfully, because everyone around the world knows about him, but in the early 1990s, because I was still dancing and performing, if I went somewhere, let's say I went to a party and, and met up with someone and they would say to me, what are you doing now? Where are you dancing, et cetera? I would tell them, but then I would also include this new amazing discipline that I was not only learning and started to teach, but it was becoming something that felt as if it was moving into my cells. It was very deep for me. We went to this, if you want to know, we went to this house in Beverly Hills. It was a large house. There was tons of equipment in the living room and in the dining room. I remember the first time when we, wa when we walked in there, I saw a woman on the Cadillac, and I think she was in the fuzzies and doing maybe the ballet stretches. I just saw her swinging, and I thought, oh, this is just like being in a gymnastic club. So it seemed super familiar right away. Our teacher brought us over to two reformers and instructed us to lie down on the carriage. I didn't know that that was the name. I, I think she said carriage. She might have just said lie down. And she stood in front of the foot bar, both with myself and with my uh, partner. And we put our feet up on the foot bar and she says, push out. So the physical sensation of pushing out for me was just, it was just like you're doing petit allegro or you're doing some kind of jump. You're just bending and jumping. So the action was very familiar. The, the weight of the spring brought me back to my gymnastic days. So this happened all of a millisecond. But when I pushed the carriage out, before the carriage came home the very first time, everything got white 
and quiet. I didn't hear any, I didn't hear the teacher's voice. I didn't hear anything. I felt as if I was floating above, but not in my body, more in sort of my spirit. And as I was pushing out the first sensation, besides the physical of the, the legs working, I heard buzzing in my head. And as soon as the buzzing happened, I don't know if I popped out of my body for a second. I don't know what happened, but I know something happened because the moment the carriage came in, I knew at that very moment, this was going to be my life's work. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's quite an, an ex it's hard to explain because time for us is so linear and slow, <laughs> even though everything seems like it's speeding up right now. But it just happened very quickly. I marveled at the fact that I could even sense what was happening. And I definitely didn't hear anything. And I could feel floating and I could feel white, sort of cloud-ish sensations around me. And then... I, maybe I dropped back into my body. I don't know. It was very fast, but it was so, to me, it seemed very obvious because it was an extension or natural progression from my gymnastic career. I trained really hard almost every day for six years and I competed and I, there was a lot of dense density in the training. It was very hardcore and unapologetic. And then an 18 year dance career, which sort of refined me and softened me in certain ways. So that when I started learning the Pilates method and then teaching it soon after, it just, I didn't really need someone to actually show me or tell me how to do it because my body already knew. Wow. I, this is so interesting. I'm, I'm so happy you're sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you, yeah, you really knew you, um, you were going to learn more about this and you, you wanted to do it. You, you just wanted to. Well, I was still dancing. I was still dancing. I was still performing, but I was just utterly intrigued and mesmerized by not only what I was actually experiencing in the body, maybe it was just calling, calling me back to my gymnastic days and how powerful I was and felt. And then having the more of the technical understanding about biomechanics with my dancing and also had a 10-year yoga practice. So it was like a culmination of everything. And when I started teaching my students who I'd already been teaching uh, weight training, aerobics, stretch classes, this was in 92 or Yeah, about 92. I started teaching pretty soon after. It just sort of brought everything together to a, a focal point. And like many people have said on this show and just if you talk to them, you fall in love with it. You literally fall in love with it and his vision. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's just... Um... Wonderful to to hear how you describe it. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. It's such an emotional um, very. It was very. 
when I talk about it, you know, I, I still get chills because I know that what happened that very first lesson, the very first repetition of footwork, I know that was real because I have had other psychic phenomena happen to me and I'm aware of. So I didn't freak out or I didn't think it didn't happen, but the fact that it did happen, I listened. And I knew that if something on such a high level was calling me, that I needed to be still in, in my spirit and answer. So that's why I do feel like this podcast is a way that I can continue the love that I have for this work to help others by introducing like you and, and, and other guests to my listening audience, because everybody has a different experience and point of view. And yet we're in our heart. We're all, we're all touched. That's a great source of where your happiness is. And if we had that kind of peace through Pilates that the old guard in terms of war, all of that, it just feels as it's the time is done and we have to move through the planet with a sense of humanity. And that's what Joe brought us. Yeah. So, so I, I because I, I had been planning to ask you what, what, what is your vision um, of um, how, how the Pilates method will develop? I think that his work will continue. I think it will continue. I think Pilates inspired movement will continue. I think the original archival traditional work will continue because there are many of us who feel desperate to preserve his original vision. And I do think because there are so many very creative thinkers and movement specialists who are taking his work into some other realms. Both of them will coexist. And one day I do see his vision being fully realized, which is hospitals and for sure schools, because I was just reading recently that uh, childhood obesity in America is almost 20%. That's, that's crazy. Children need to exercise. Children need to release all of that child energy that is just in them. They can, when they get to being an adult, that energy changes and you slow down. But right now we need to set healthy patterns. And that's what he talked about in his book, Return to Life Through Contrology. It was so much about the children. The children are our future, but we can't have sick children as our future. So I do think that once the work is embraced in the school systems and in hospitals, as if there might be a Pilates wing or a, a department in all hospitals, in the rehab, even if there's not a rehab area, that they create it because his work is so powerful. And using Eve Gentry and the footage as a perfect example of what is possible. And now because we know so much more about how the body functions from connective tissue out, we have more to offer. And then Joe can 
maybe rest finally. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to this. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you again, Eva. It was fantastic connecting with you for a second time. And everyone, please get her book if you don't have it. It's so full of detail and it, it really is you're stepping into an adventure. Yeah, and, and I, I think uh, the podcast is also a great way to, to share like some, some of the other parts, um, yeah, which also um, belong to it. Thank you. Thank you and have a great day. All Things Pilates is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Darian Gold. Mastered audio mix by Fabian Romero. Theme music, Soul Blues Piano Shuffle by Boom Zoom. As you've learned from Eva's interviews, Joe began his fitness destiny initially with gymnastics. I too began the same way. I trained very hard and like Joe, I was drawn to sharing my gymnastics knowledge and passion early on. In fact, I was a mere 14 year old and my very first private student was seven. Her parents hired me to help their daughter gain more strength and confidence. Excited to share the work, I demonstrated, explained, and spotted her with tricks such as handstands, aerial cartwheels, and balancing on one leg in preparation for the challenging balance beam. I've taught alignment, rhythm, and body control ever since. To me, teaching is a gift, and I honor this gift by continuing to develop not just my technical abilities, but my observational, vocabulary, and communication skills. Proper technique has always been the foundation of my practice, and if you are a student of mine, you know this to be true. I'm taking a moment to shine the light I usually bestow on others on myself. I'm always available to guest teach at a workshop or conference, or my all-time favorite thing, to guide young athletes and dancers. If you happen to know anyone who would welcome my skill set, please make a note of my website, dariangold.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Studio Darian Pilates and Facebook, Darian Gold. As always, I remain in awe of Joe's work, and I look forward to being with you in a couple of weeks on another episode of All Things Pilates.